it always came back to the customer. What was right for the customer if it was customer related? Did, did it support, you know, were, the fact that we cared about science and quality? Like we would always kind of rely on those those types of things and just the the confidence that, you know, whatever it was, we would get through it. And we just, you know, some things we'd tackle individually or as a team. I mean, we went to events like we went to, you know, the Rock and Roll Marathon series. We went to the Arnold Fitness Convention and just the excitement from people coming to our booth and trying our product just blew me away. For Arianne Perry, founder of Sweet Defeat, the only clinically proven natural lozenge that stops sugar cravings in seconds, being an athlete not only gave her the strength, stamina, and discipline for being a mom, but it helped her be able to run her company. With two-thirds of Americans overweight and one-third diabetic or pre-diabetic, Arianne knew something had to be done to help people eat less sugar. And as someone with the right knowledge who came from an entrepreneurial family, she knew she was the one to do it. Coming up, you'll hear about the cost of paid advertising versus press and how leveraging an ad can have ripple effects to other channels. How hiring for great people instead of skills, but motivating them to achieve their potential has been key. All about operating a company in stealth mode and considerations of a patent. How Ariane didn't have a mentor and wishes she had listened to the advice she was given by others earlier. Why a gratitude journal helps mindset and hormone balance. And why you should always be kind to yourself. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Ariane, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be here. You have such an interesting background because you were first working for Google before you started your own business. How did that job in the corporate world lead you to starting Sweet Defeat? Yeah, so Sweet Defeat was founded with the mission to help people eat less sugar. And I, throughout my life, have been really driven by wanting to do something of purpose and value. So I did start my career in Fortune 500 companies. I was at JP Morgan for five years, and then I was at Google. And I met my co-founder while I was doing my MBA at Columbia. And I think it was really kind of like a right place, right time scenario. But when I was working in big companies, I always had this feeling like I had more to give when I was in a role. I just felt like maybe it was too narrow or I had I just I had more to give, I think is the best way to describe it. And so when I met my co-founder and he talked about the idea that he had and why he wanted to create this product. And I was really interested in working with him as well. It was like a right place, right time kind of thing and a problem that I really wanted to work on solving because not only does this concept of eating too much sugar, having a sweet tooth resonate with me because sugar is my vice. Oh, resonates with me too. I've and, got the sweet tooth. <laughs> you know, I've been committed to health and fitness my entire life. I was a college athlete um, and kind of always knew what I needed to be putting them into my body, but that was a vice. And then when you think about the bigger picture of sugar in the United States and that almost 90% of foods have some form of sugar and so many diseases have been linked to it, it was just a problem I was really excited to tackle. Were you working full-time when you were in business school when you met your business partner or? No, I went to business school full-time. Okay. Yeah. So you were ready to figure out what you were going to start next. Were you, yeah. Did you know you were not going back to the corporate world? You know, I I kind of did. Um, and I was really thinking more about the investing world with my finance background and the role that I had at Google. Um, but meeting him and the idea just kind of gave me the 
push I needed to to take the leap because I do have an entrepreneurial family and the concept wasn't foreign. So it was the right place, right time. What were the early days like? So he came up with this or he had this idea, you latched onto it. And then what happened next? How did you get this off the ground? Yeah. So the idea was let's help people eat less sugar because there's something about that first bite that leads to the second. And I was like, yeah, I understand that. And then the larger market opportunity kind of falls in that space of knowing that two out of three Americans is overweight or obese, one out of three Americans is pre-diabetic or diabetic. And so not only is this something that, you know, someone that is health conscious and has a vice like me can use, but also those that are, you know, trying to avoid chronic disease. Um, So that was our hypothesis. And we just kind of test, test, test from there. We came across our main ingredient, which is called gymnema. Um, little known but widely consumed. It has roots in Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine. Um, and we went straight to the growers in India, built a supply chain. We're trying to get to know the ingredient, right, and figure out how do we put it into a form that people will actually use it. And then how do we think about that in the context of our greater business? We're not just going to be like a single product company, um, but we want to really serve this population of people. So the early days were all about that Keystone product. So it was literally building a su- supply chain for this ingredient and finding out figuring out a way to bring it into the U.S. and get it purified and formulate it into what ended up being just this simple clean mint, five natural ingredients. So building a supply chain, let's talk about that because <laughs> this was not your background at all. How did you no. figure out what to do first? Called every supplier I could find. Um, ended up figuring out that there was a difference between the suppliers that actually worked with the growers and those that were like import-export specialists in the U.S. So we went straight to um, those suppliers in India. And then we got a contract lab to test samples and started ordering a bunch of samples, found the highest quality ones and um, got to know what that whole quality space is about in terms of chemistry and quality. Um, And so our first hire was actually a chief scientific officer who has a PhD in organic chemistry because we realized we were really going to be deep in this ingredient um, in order to build our, our product line. Did you initially raise money when you first started? No. So my co-founder is a successful investor and funded funded the business for the first several years. And then after that first hire, who did you bring on next? Um, kind of a jack of all trades. Um, so someone that could help with everything from vendor management to project management to, you know, helping us work on how do we build out what does this product look and feel like? what's the name? Like, how are we going to sell it? So it was a jack of all trades. Did anyone have a background in product design or marketing? We hired an agency for that. We hired an agency. Um, We talked to a bunch and saw a lot of different concepts. And we kind of went with our gut, but we did do some focus groups. And um, we launched with a brand called Crave Crush, which was very fitness focused. And um, what year was this? This was 2016. Okay. Yeah. 17, 2017, end of 16. January 1st was our first sales date of 2017. Um, so, you know, it was talking to consumers, trying to understand what's important to them, and then also kind of trusting our gut and trying to design something that was beautiful and people would trust and um, they would use in their daily life. Because that was really how we saw it having a large, the product having a great impact on people's lives was cutting out sugar every day. And Do you those small changes over time adding up to a better a better lifestyle, better nutrition. Is this a product you'd say is for everyone? Everyone should be. Everyone can use it. Yeah. And what would you say was the moment when you knew you had a hit? Like this was going to be a product that was going to work. It was going to sell. 
That's a good question. I think I think for me it was really in our focus groups where we saw and we divided them up by kind of we divided up by age actually. And we recruited people, you know, literally like I had these two summer interns and they stood outside of a Whole Foods and a Soul Cycle and an Equinox. And we were like, we want health conscious people um, because we think that that's kind of all we know about our target market at this point. Um, <laughs> and so they were like recruiting people to this focus group. And I think the positivity in that group was what really encouraged us that we were onto something. But it was also just that, you know, the the awareness of how big the market was for the problem that we wanted to solve. I think a lot of people launch a business and don't think about doing a focus group and really understanding who the consumer is, what's going to make them want to purchase something, getting feedback from them. Can you talk a little bit about how you put together a focus group and how you take the learnings from them to be able to innovate with the product? Yeah, I think focus groups, I guess, full disclosure, are hard because they're in person. And so you don't always get – it's a little biased towards positive. Sure. I would think um, or I think. And people don't tell you everything and they kind of feed off of each other. So we always sort of took that with a grain of salt. But we asked questions that we thought um, would help us understand what was important to those consumers and how they would actually use the product in their daily life and how often they would use it and what was important to them in their buying decision with the product. And we had them try, try the product and tell us also kind of what did they think about the taste and the form factor, mm-hmm. um, where would they expect to buy it, what other things did they purchase. So we were trying to get to know them that way. Um, but I think that getting to know your customer is a never-ending process and they always surprise you. Um, and the good the good surprises are just so rewarding because for us in the health and wellness space, it's people telling us that their lives are better mm-hmm. in some way. And so, you know, that kind of crosses over into testimonial, but I did spend a lot of time talking to customers. What well, what would they tell you? What would they say? Well, the good and the we'll bad. Start with the good. <laughs> <laughs> so, the good was for example, people telling us this I'll start with the one that surprised me the most. It was a man in his 40s and he had a demanding job and um wasn't in an urban area, but demanding job was gone a lot um, and felt very distracted by food cravings when he was with his family. Interesting. And he told us that using the product had allowed him to spend more time with his children. And that was that really surprised me. Interesting. And, you know, then there were other stories that were really inspiring. You know, a, a woman a woman in her um, early 50s telling us that she'd struggled with weight her entire life and sugar was just like her kryptonite. And this product had help helped her cut it out and lose weight, and she was now going to be doing triathlons. So that's like a major lifestyle change. Wow. Um, was there anything else on the market like this product when you launched? No, nah, not exactly. Um, there, I mean, people had tried before to put Gymnema into a lozenge or like a breath spray. Um, but what we spent a lot of time on was making it taste good because sure. think about anything that you ingest, food, beverage, or otherwise. It has to taste good or you're going to feel like it's unpleasant and you're not going to want to use it. So we spent a lot of time on that and we had a patent on our combination of ingredients. And so we stood out from the competition that way and that the product tasted good. Let's talk about your patent. How yeah. does one go about the process of getting a patent on something? Yeah. Um, well, we talked to a lot of attorneys and there were we talked to several different firms and a lot of people actually told us we couldn't patent anything. So why is that? Because it was a natural product. 
and you can't patent nature, but you can patent novelty and you can patent synergy. And that was the basis for our patent, that the ingredients worked synergistically together and we had data to back that up. Um, we'd worked with this amazing expert formulator. Um, he's on the patent and um, it's just a follow-up process. You can go through an expedited path with the USPTO. Um, the faster you respond to their office actions, the faster you can get an answer. Um, and just putting enough in sort of the research behind your patent to support as broad a claim as you can because then you have the most the most protection. Have you found that there's other companies now that are trying to copy what you're doing? Oh, yeah. Yep. We have copycats. And do you have to go after them with your uh... – <laughs> Well, only if they violate the combination of ingredients. Yeah. So, you know, maybe it's a compliment that we've created a market for this kind of product. But, yeah, there's definitely copycats. And sometimes they bid on our keywords and, you know, sometimes they copy our branding and – it's it's uh it was just like a matter of time, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when you're creating something good, other people are going to want to, you yeah. know, copy it or knock it off mm-hmm. and try to try to do it as well. Mm-hmm. What would you say has been the biggest challenge when launching this type of business? We are in the behavioral change business, mm-hmm. and so that has been the greatest challenge is not just getting interest in the product, but helping people change their lifestyle and use the product on an ongoing basis, which is good for our business and it's good for their health. So that has definitely been definitely been the biggest challenge. Did you develop a subscription model? We do have a subscription yeah. um, and we've done combinations of product and program. Um, and, you know, you get auto ship obviously and a discount when you have a subscription, but you also get access to programs, 30-day programs. So let's talk about your marketing strategy to find the type of person that – needs this product and wants this product. How did you go about figuring that out when you first launched? We, so we, um, I mentioned the brand that we initially launched with and then we rebranded and really focused on direct to consumer. And that was based on a lot of um, research that we'd done and things we learned about our customer. So we relaunched and we had an omni-channel marketing strategy that really went across not just the online channels of paid search and paid social and affiliates and SEO, um, but we also had a bit of an offline strategy. So we tried direct mail and we tried um, alternative media mail inserts um, and didn't have a, you know, we didn't have a ton of traction, Mm. but I think that it was very early for us. And I've seen a lot of other DTC brands, like I get, I get their Yes, the I get their direct the mail, yeah. right? And I think it's almost like a better follow on. Yeah. Um, but we tried it. Um, it wasn't like super, super expensive. And um, we got a lot of traction in the digital channel because we started to really invest in our Facebook community. Um, so we were doing paid advertising, but we were also doing organic content. And we had a community manager from day one that talked to anybody and everybody, even the people that were commenting on our ads and saying negative things. We talked to them Smart. because we're like, we're new. No one knows us. So yeah. we have to get to know them. Did you build a Facebook group too? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I'm sure that's where you got a lot of traction there, people having conversations yes. and yes. wanting that community. Yes. When there's a private group, people seem to engage a little bit more with yeah. each other, but it does help. We found it helped to have our community manager there kind of trying to start the conversation if someone else wasn't. Um, so kind of being that almost like coach for them. And what else did you learn through – obviously, marketing has changed over the past few years. Yeah. So you've really just had to stay innovative and keep trying new things. What yeah. else have you learned along the way? I think we've tried to really figure out what is the right combination of paid and organic and how does press fit into the whole thing because, I mean, you 
you know this, the cost of paid advertising can be prohibitive if you don't have it set up right. Um, so how do you leverage that and have ripple effects to all of your channels? I want to talk a little bit about your team and building a team. So when you first yeah. started, it was just you and your business partner. You yep. then had one new hire and you've now grown the team to you're over 10 people now. Yep. So what has that been like? Because you've gone from it just being two people, just having to manage each other to now really having to be a leader. Yeah. I. So I, I took a I took a great interest in the leadership skill set of wanting to hire great people, but also motivate them to realize their potential. And, you know, if I was to do it all over again, maybe I would have, you know, been more specific and more consistent around like, what are our specific values as a company? But something that was a really common theme and it was part of every hiring process and we talked about is that it's like no task is too small or too large here mm-hmm. because we're literally a tiny team trying to achieve great things and none of us are above any task or, you know, incapable of taking on some large task. So that was a definite theme. Um, and then what we talked a lot about was our customer and wanting to serve our customer and really prioritizing our science, so the quality and the efficacy of our product and how it impacted customer outcomes. So those were things that we talked a lot about. And, you know, I think everyone, <laughs> I hope, can <laughs> recite our mission, which is to help people eat less sugar and lead healthier, happier, lead a healthier, happier life. And I wanted to keep that simple so that that could be top of mind for everyone. And I did start you know, reiterating that. But I think in the early days when it was only a couple of us, you know, maybe there would have been value to kind of writing more things down and reinforcing that. Um, But the early hires are still with the team. Um, What do you think the secret is there? Because that's tough these days, and especially in somewhere like New York City where there's, you know, a really great job market. It's so easy to find new roles. What has led people to want to stay with your company and your mission? I think it's... It comes out in the hiring process, yeah. their their passion for what you're doing. And I always looked for people, especially early on, that had track records of sticking with something mm-hmm. um, professionally, personally, or otherwise, and taking on something and really caring about it. And I don't know if I have, like, the secret sauce for hiring by any means, but with those early hires, um, that was what I was looking for and – I mean, they stuck with it. That's amazing. Is there a particular interview question that you always ask people that you're looking for a certain answer that you know it's them when you you hear it? Yes. And everyone that's interviewed with me has gotten this question. And I was super uncomfortable asking it the first, you know, few times. And now it's, it's one of my favorite ones to ask. I ask people in your current job or your last job, who do you work for? Who did you work for? What's their name? If I called them, how would they rate your performance on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the best? And the answer to that question is very telling. And it also prompts a lot of other conversation that can help you get to know the person. What have you heard from that question? Well, what I like to hear is <laughs> 10. But, you know, maybe a 9 because I always feel like I could be better. Like, that's the answer you yes, want. Yes, and you yes. do get that a lot. Um Sometimes you get maybe a seven, maybe a six. And sometimes it's for, you know, that person's just being very humble and honest. They're like, I didn't really have, you know, all the expertise that was needed for the role. Um, But other times it kind of prompts conversation around, oh, well, we disagreed on X, Y, Z point. 
And it helps you get to know how that person works in a team. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. That's a good tip. It's uncomfortable to ask. <laughs> but even when I had members of my team interviewing others to hire people, I said, you got to ask that question. I always ask, what's the nicest thing you've ever done for someone? Oh, that's a very good one. I'm going to add that. That's the one I like to ask just to be sure we're always hiring nice people. Yeah. That's at the end important. of the day, have to be around yeah. people that yeah. are good That's people. a great question. Good I'm making a mental note of yeah. that. <laughs> Coming up, you'll hear why Ariane wishes she had listened to the advice she was given by others earlier. I know you shared that it took a while to first get your patent. What was that like not being able to talk about what you were doing for so long? It was weird, especially living in New York and you know, most people being urban professionals and you meet someone new or you're even catching up with friends and, you know, work is one of the top probably two things you talk about. Um, and also coming out of business school where most of my, you know, I'd been at Google and JP Morgan and all my friends were at McKinsey and banks and like, you know, doing these very, you know, prestigious and, um, you know, well-known roles at large well-known companies. <laughs> And, you know, it was it was weird. Um, and I, I really didn't talk a lot about what we were doing other than our mission and, you know, that this was kind of in the natural products, food, tech space. Um, so it, it, it was definitely it was definitely weird. And, you know, to be fully candid, like it it was hard because I'm such a person i'm the kind of person that loves to connect with new people and when you can't connect on that huge part of your life i don't know it was it was it was definitely it was definitely hard would you say to someone you know i'll be able to tell you in a couple of months or you just yeah they're like okay sure (laughs) did you finally send out like a mass email like this is what i've been doing oh yeah we worked yeah we worked to put together a pretty extensive launch list um but we did start to share more um, once we better understood what our competitive advantages would be and what the moat around our business would be comprised of and, you know, we felt – and once we had our patent filed, because um, once you have it filed, you have you have priority. It's called a priority date. Interesting. So I want to know how did you really grow your team from the early days? And when you – before you had the patent, did you still have a few employees and they couldn't talk about anything either or this was mm-hmm. – yeah. How did you keep them sworn to secrecy, NDAs? And- <laughs> well, you know, our chief scientific officer had worked in pharmaceutical development. And so she was no stranger to, to it, that. Yeah. Um, and her husband worked in intellectual property law. So I feel like it was it was very you know much a natural fit for her. But um, she's very passionate about nutrition. And so what I think she would share with people is, you know, I'm bringing together my um, my organic chemistry PhD and my love of nutrition. And, you know, we're, this is our mission. And then, you know, building the rest of the team kind of started to happen around the time that we were sharing more. So I think that that was that made it a lot easier for people. And we know that being an entrepreneurista is not as glamorous as it might look on Instagram, Mm -hmm. going to events, promoting the business. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes and a lot of really hard, tough times. Can you share some of those, you know, hard times and how you got through them and what was going on? Yeah. I think probably every entrepreneur has had that moment where they feel like they're doing something that they're just completely unqualified to do, but there's no one else to do it. <laughs> so I had a lot of those, 
particularly with regard to, you know, science or patents or, you know, we clinical research and all that stuff. Um, so, so yeah, I remember pouring over these. This was before we hired our chief scientific officer. I was like pouring through these scientific documents from the quality control vendor. And I was like, what are they doing? Like, does this make sense? Like, what does this mean? And like Googling terms and calling like a friend from college that worked in or worked who had a chemistry degree and be like, what the heck is this? Um, so, you know, I feel like that's a pretty good example of just being totally out of your depths. But I did feel like I got a handle on it to some extent. Um, and that theme kind of persisted <laughs> with everything to do with our business. But you're right about a lot of people kind of share the glamorous stuff that they're doing. And I think if I was to actually share what I was or if I was to share what I was actually doing every day, it'd just be a picture of me at my computer furiously like working on something. What um, what is your day to day like? And I'm sure it's changed over the, yeah, the past couple of years. Yeah. So I've recently transitioned out of the day to day, which has been it's been interesting, um, but good. Um, so when I was in the day to day, I think it was really every day was kind of a mix of meeting with my team, um, meeting with p- potential partners, meeting with our current partners, um, and then I'd always reserve a portion of the day for deep thinking and trying to work on thinking through some part of our business. Um, And, you know, there were weeks where I was traveling a lot to either a trade show or a vendor or things like that, but that was usually the mix. It was something team independent work and then, you know, trying to meet as many people as possible that could help us or were already helping us. And are you the type of person that was scheduled out in your calendar so you you knew what you were doing every hour of the day? Just a Yes, just about. And I actually started to get to the point where – and I mean this is probably just time management 101, but I would actually block three-hour segments at some point in the day where I could think mm-hmm. because, again, like I, I read this book, Deep Work, and it was things that I should have known but or should have been doing. But the idea that like if you're scheduled for 30 minutes and then you have a 30-minute break and then you're scheduled for 30 minutes and 30-minute break and then an hour and then you can't do anything productive in those 30-minute breaks between 30-minute meetings. So why not just put them back to back so they don't run over? And then you have an hour after that you could actually do something. That's a really good tip. Did people on your team know they could not schedule over that time period? Because I feel like it's so easy. And I I'm, I do this all the time. I'll put time blocks in my calendar and then other meetings come up. People need to talk to me. And then I make that a priority instead of giving myself the time to to sit and focus. So how how did you do that? It was weird at first, and then I decided that I was just going to be very open with my team about it, and I was going to put blocks on my calendar. And I think that they kind of followed suit. I said, this works for me, and I think all of you should try it. You know, give yourself blocks of time where you're not meeting or, you know, if you have an option to meet with someone, just put it at right after another meeting so that you can optimize your optimize your time. Um, and I also did – I made a change where, you know, I had one day during the week that was like team meeting days. And then I had another day during the week where I would put all my one-on-ones together. Um, and I just started communicating with my team about how I was managing my time. And I think that they appreciated that. Were they totally receptive to yeah. everything? Yep. Yeah, they were. And did you find they started doing the time blocking too? Yeah, some yes, oh, yeah. some no. <laughs> time management is really hard. It's definitely very hard. Especially, especially if you go into rabbit holes. <laughs> and in today's world where, you know, we're all attached to our phones 24-7, it's just so easy to get sucked in to start doing something else when when you should be focusing on yeah. something else that you need to be doing. So I like that tip and I'm going to try it. Well, I, it's, 
I wouldn't be honest if I said that it worked every day because in a startup and probably, you know, every startup, there's firefighting and things come up that you can't control, whether it's, you know, something going on with your paid marketing or, you know, it's something weird happening within the team or something happens with production. Like there was always something that would come up and eat probably 25% of my time that I thought I was going to have in a week easily. How do you handle those moments? Do you have advice to share about when these fires come up or hard times? Like how do you react in those moments and what do you do? Oh, man. I feel like I need advice on that. (laughs) Well, I will say that I always react to things very calmly. Um, Something that I also spent a lot of time thinking about and being aware of was how my energy impacted my team and whether that was to motivate them or to calm them or – um, to set direction when there's always a lot of uncertainty. So when something would happen and I didn't know how to react, I would say, we've got this. I need to go think about this. Um, or I'd say, okay, here's what we're going to do. And it always kind of, it always came back to the customer, what was right for the customer, if it was customer related. Um, and were we going to, did it support, you know, were the fact that we cared about science and quality. Like we would always kind of rely on those those types of things and just the the confidence that, you know, whatever it was, we would get through it and we just, you know, some things we'd tackle individually or as a team. Was there a moment when you knew that this company was going to be a success? Early on when we launched, we did some trade shows. And we did we did grassroots marketing. We went to events like we went to you know the the rock and rock and roll marathon series. We went to the Arnold Fitness Convention, and just the excitement from people coming to our booth and trying our product just blew me away. We didn't even talk about exactly what the product is, how you use it. Yeah, can you give a little background on that? Sweet defeat is essentially a little mint. And it's only five ingredients. The main one is gymnema that we talked about. And when you dissolve it on your tongue, like a mint, you can't taste sugar afterwards. And so the clinical research that a scientist out in Oregon did for us showed is that that also reduces your desire for sugar. It's like when you sit down at dinner or you have a nice dinner with friends and the dessert comes, and you, you're like, eh, I could have it. I don't know. You have one bite and then you plow through the dessert. That's exactly what we were working on because that happens for a lot of people multiple times a day. And do people typically use this product multiple times a day or just once a day? We'd love for them to use it multiple <laughs> times a day. People use it between you know one to three times a day that or is, maybe just a few times a week. It just depends. But we is, recommend it several times a day. I think I, I, think I definitely need lifestyle. this product. Awesome. I have the <laughs> biggest sweet tooth there is yeah. and a big fan of, of Entenmann. So uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely need to, I got you there. Definitely need to cut I that out. <laughs> Can you share a time when you made maybe a big mistake in business and what you did about it? I think my learning is probably more interesting than any of those individual mistakes. And it's all around kind of letting something go too long Mm. because you feel like you can fix it and some things aren't fixable. And so, you know, whether that be with a vendor that's just not the right fit or maybe even an employee that's Mm -hmm. just, it's not the right fit. The longer you let these things go on, the more painful it is <laughs> for both sides. Yeah. And so I think the learning is you kind of know when something's not working, whether it's even a marketing strategy or it's a person or it's a vendor. And so what I try to do, and no one's perfect, but when something feels like it's not working out, it becomes a priority for me to determine 
if I'm just, that's just how I'm feeling that day or if it's really not working and if it's really not working to address it. Not to rip the Band-Aid. How many times did it take of this happening over and over to be like, wait a second, this is a pattern. I can't let things linger. It's going to be better if we just – I think three three, three events that were kind of similar, yeah. but probably more. <laughs> right? We, we learn slow. Oh, my gosh. I feel like – I feel like you're relating to this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> what yeah. accomplishment would you say you're most proud of to date? Customer results. Customer results. What does it feel like when you get those positive reviews? Because I know you have thousands of five-star reviews. Like – like I am doing something yeah. of purpose and value. Yeah. And like all of the hard work and late nights and, you know, angst or stress is worth it. Totally. And you're a new mom. Congratulations. Thank you. We're in the new mom club here. And I think nothing prepares you for being a new it mom doesn't. and running it a do- business. It doesn't. Would love to hear because you're a few months farther in than I am. You know, did people talk to you about what it would be like to try to run a business and have a baby? Like, what was that like for you? They did, and I naively didn't listen. <laughs> I was like, it'll be fine. So it's easy. Yeah. Fine, you know? And I, I had this mindset going in that I – my goal was to be present when I was with my family, with my with my baby, with my husband, and to be present when I was at work. And what I didn't realize is that – it wasn't necessarily that I wouldn't be able to be present. It's that there there would always be a feeling that there wasn't enough time. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, I, there's – you just go through a lot when you have a child. It's, it's, it's a life change in a way that maybe you don't know until you're actually a parent. But, mm-hmm. you know, and being a woman, like you're literally giving birth to new life and <laughs> – like there's emotional stuff that goes along with that that isn't even totally driven by logic. It's driven by your hormones. Yeah. And so when you go, you know, I went back after four weeks and I was there and I was just as motivated as ever. But I was also, you know, constantly second guessing myself in ways that I never had before yeah. because my emotions were a little bit different because my hormones were telling, you know, my biology to be tied to this baby. Right. So I was not prepared for that. Also, breastfeeding is very hard, and I was not prepared for that. I thought it'd be easy. I No one prepares you for breastfeeding. You have to sit with someone who is had an experience to tell you that ahead of time because what a challenge. I had no challenge. idea. I had it's no a full-time idea. job. It's a, it's a lot. Yeah. Working is a full-time job. And... Breastfeeding is a full-time job, and then taking care of a child is a full-time job. <laughs> yep. And um, there's so many incredible women that are doing it all, yeah. you included. So we just got to – keep doing it and inspiring more to more more women to do the same somehow somehow it all gets done and Not forgive sure ourselves how. for yeah. you know the fact that we can't do it all to the extent that we'd like what about when well, you we are... can do it all but yes. not to the extent like there's not enough time and, t- and being easy on yourself <laughs> yes. yes what was it like when you were pregnant and running a business were you able to take time for yourself and take care of yourself so that that was that was fine um i've i think it's having been an athlete Mm -hmm. and being very in tune with my body and appreciating that not just for athletic performance, but then when I started working in a pretty intense job, appreciating that for, you know, me being my, being in tune with my body and maintaining my health to maintain both my professional relationships, my personal relationship, and just knowing that like how I felt physically impacted everything that I did in my life and my relationships. So when I was pregnant, I really embraced that. And I tried to figure out, you know, what, 
what did I need to do differently than when I wasn't pregnant to maintain my energy? And that was things like just putting my email away Mm -hmm. sooner and making sure that I went to bed at a certain time. So I needed to get a little bit more sleep and also making sure that I ate on a really I, I, I've always been kind of like my team knows, like, don't let Arian get hangry. Like, yeah. <laughs> I have to eat oh, at like, a regular <laughs> interval. But it was kind of like adding in a couple snacks um, and staying hydrated. And I also went through um, some I, – I started having what's called pubic symphysis disorder. It's a pelvic pain. And I just had it very early. So that affected my ability to exercise in the way that I normally would. In the morning, I couldn't go for a run. I had, you know, I was lifting and swimming instead. Um, But I found that trying to just, even if it was just walking to work, maintain some sort of morning exercise helped me stick with my routine, even though I couldn't, I couldn't run at all. Wow. And walking was a little bit of a challenge sometimes. But, you know, I felt lucky. I was like, well, if this is like the one thing and I feel pretty good otherwise and my baby's healthy and I'm healthy, like I can deal with this. (laughs) Totally. So you went back to work four weeks after you had your baby. Were you back at work full time at that point? Yeah. Yeah. I I worked – I had – I did have more work from home than – I'd never really been into work from home. Mm -hmm. I love being in the office with my team and all of the great conversation that that sparks and the efficiency that it has. So I I did want to be there. But I was there like shorter shorter hours. I would do more at home. Um, Some days I would work from home. And that was really nice um, in terms of just trying to manage – my own physical recovery and breastfeeding and things like that. So that flexibility was really nice. Any other advice you can share with mama pronistas who are trying to run a business and also balancing motherhood? Just be kind to yourself. And, you know, if I could go back, maybe I would have planned for, for a little bit more time that I wasn't like back full time. I don't know if it would have been possible because in hindsight, you're like, oh, maybe I could have done that. But I think that you know, some of my friends who have businesses where they're able to manage that time post-birth a little bit more so to remove themselves, I think that to the extent you can do it, do it. Yeah. If you have a partner that can take over or, um, you know, there's certain things that you do that you could push off a few months, like just do it. Give yourself some time. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. We'll be back all the more energized. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Coming up, you'll hear about the importance of a gratitude journal and why you should always be kind to yourself. And a surprise. A common theme from all of the guests we've interviewed on our podcast so far is that they've all relied on support from other women through groups. So we decided to start an Entrepreneista Facebook group. Head on over to Facebook and search Entrepreneistas. We really wanted to create a community for Entrepreneistas to connect, share ideas, help each other solve problems, and learn from all of our collective experiences. If you join the group, it's really a safe space to talk about being an entrepreneur, sharing your wins, asking for help when needed. It's going to be an exciting 2019, and we can't wait to meet you so we can learn and grow together. So we were talking a little bit before about your marketing strategy and caring about your customers and understanding your customers. So we always talk about in social media, surprising and delighting our customers. So Mm -hmm. we have a special surprise for you today. So if you look to the left of your seat, there's a little surprise for you over there. And if you you open the envelope inside. This is so nice. 
We learned a little bit about you from being on your own social media. Okay. And we'll see if you've been to this place before. But I think you're going to like it if you haven't been there already. Open this envelope. <laughs> Drum roll. No. <laughs> Good for you. Inscape. Yes, I've heard about this and I've been wanting to try. It's meditation, Meditation, right? yes. I've never been. Well, so now you get to go. Thank I know you're so all much. into health and wellness really nice. and taking care of yourself and with yeah. a new baby at home. It's good to take 45 minutes and yes. do what you say to do. Be kind to yourself. Yes. So enjoy. Thank you. This is really nice take of time you. to relax and enjoy for sure. Thank you, Social Fly. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Steph. I love that. Oh, and I got some cool swag. Got some cool entrepreneurship Thank swag you. to share I love that. with oh everyone. God, this and is great. enjoy your water this. bottle for your runs. This is really thoughtful. Yes, Thank of you. course. Enjoy. I love it. Have you had a mentor that's helped you along the way? Not really. And I wish I did. But not really. I've I've sought people out. I have a lot of great peer mentors. But I, you know, that's like, if you can find one, it's just, it's everything. And I, I never really had one. I had a mentor at JP Morgan. Um, but through this, you know, journey, there were, I mean, there were lots of people that helped me for mm. sure. I got, you know, great advice or insights, but there, I didn't have like one, one person. person. Who would you go to for advice? So if there was a problem in the business and you needed someone's help, yeah. like who was in your network that you knew you had to call? Well, I was really, I was really, really pleasantly surprised by how helpful people were. Mm -hmm. And it was always in some, you know, different area. Um, But I did, you know, I have to give credit to my husband because, you know, he was so supportive, even if he didn't know what to tell me what to do, right? But he would listen to me and like help me think through certain things, which I think was really helpful. Um, But, you know, everything from when we were trying to start trying to launch our product on Amazon, I reached out to a friend that I'd worked with at Google that was now at Amazon and he was helpful. Um, when we were, you know, starting to put our product into, into retail and selling into these independent stores, I had a friend that had an organic beauty brand and he'd kind of done it all before and he gave me insights. Um, you know, when we were first starting to create content for, for social, I had, um, a friend from business school that was working in that space and she gave me a lot of great advice and, you know, pointing me in the right direction. And then, you know, when we were trying to create video content, so the list kind of goes on and on people giving me advice and helping me in certain areas. And that was just everything. And I always pay it forward to anyone (laughs) and almost probably to a fault that asked me for help. I'm like, I want to give them thoughtful help because I got so much. Um, but there wasn't really that one person. So you built Maybe your, it's still to come. Yes. Maybe I will find a mentor. <laughs> <laughs> you built your network and were really able to utilize that to help mm-hmm. to help grow your business. Mm-hmm. What does your day-to-day look like now? Because I'm sure it's now evolved over the years. Yeah. So my day-to-day right now, because I've, I've um, moved into this advisory capacity with Sweet Defeat, is really spent thinking about um, some – I think big ideas. Um, and then also um, an investment – I'm working on an investment thesis around wellness and just reconnecting with my network, um, kind of having some fun meetings. So it's more of a thinking thinking and, and reconnecting. You can time. take more than three hours a day now and think it sounds like. Yes. <laughs> yes. What was the best piece of advice you've ever received? That's a good question. Um, so this is probably not what you expect me to say, but the best advice I ever received was actually from a friend and teammate in college. And I went to the University of Michigan. 
um, where the sun kind of goes away from November until April. Oh, yes. And it was February. And I, you know, I think we've all been there where you feel like the world has something against you at that moment in time and you're just like, I'm so down. <laughs> right? Like, I hate everything. And she said to me, she's like, Ariane, you know, this kind of happens every time, every every year around this time. And to me, that was just so what I needed to hear and sparked this awareness that I now have that I'm in control of my own emotions and that I'm not kind of like subject to outside forces, right? And so that we kind of talked about energy earlier and how your energy, especially as a leader, impacts your team and impacts your customers and your clients. And so that was really an inflection point for me in understanding how to manage my energy. And, you know, I started reading about things too, which have always been helpful along the way. But that was that is an inflection point that I remember. Was that the last winter you let yourself say, Yes. I feel like this every year? Yes. What did you do then to to change that? Just kind of the mantra. Like yep. you wake up in the morning and you're not like, oh, woe is me. You're like, I'm excited about yep. today. I'm in control of my own destiny. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Why did it take me so long to realize that? I don't know. <laughs> I guess I was in college, so that's a reasonable amount. Yeah, we're, we're young in college, young and naive, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, that was – amazing that you were able to take that moment and have that realization and just change how you were showing up every day and, and thinking about things. Yeah. So you're five plus years in business. You've obviously learned so much along the way. And a lot of our listeners are just starting their business right now. What advice can you share with them about first starting your business? Everything is harder than you think. Um, it's going to take longer and cost more. So have big dreams, have big goals, um, but kind of have that in mind and have that um, not backup plan, but just apply some skepticism to your own estimates and be prepared if something takes longer, costs more, um, because it always does, <laughs> unfortunately. This is true. Can you share any advice about having a co-founder or a business partner? Yeah, I think that there's lots of different co-founder relationships or biz business partner relationships. And it's just a matter of getting comfortable with knowing that you're going to have to have hard conversations with that person. And for me, you know, what was really important to me is that this person was very, my co-founder is very successful in his own right, but he's, he brings a level of thought and skepticism to everything, but he's also very fair and respectful. So that combination of things to me was what, you know, got me comfortable. Um, so I think everybody's a little bit different, um, but be prepared to have hard conversations with that person. And um, to the extent you can get to know them and how they're going to react to hard conversations because people react differently yeah. and maybe you're comfortable with how they react or maybe you're not. Can you give an example of how you start to have a hard conversation or we call them fierce conversations because they're uncomfortable? Yeah. I try never to have them in the moment of emotion. Smart. Um, but to to reflect because a lot of times, you know, you get angry and then you think about it and you're like, yeah, it's not that big a deal. Choose your battles. Yep. <laughs> Good advice. 
And I have to ask you this question because you are really an expert in the health and wellness space. So what is an essential tip to share with entrepreneurs to stay healthy while they're running a business? Ooh, can I do two? Yes, you can do as many as you want. Okay. You want all the tips. Okay, so <laughs> exercise, even just walking to work, mm-hmm. exercise releases endorphins. Endorphins help you be more positive and help relieve stress. So to the extent that you can just walk to work or get in some sort of exercise, because I know we have like no time, um, but know that even just like if you were to walk up the stairs in your apartment building or something like that, it's just so beneficial. And then the second thing is more around mindset, talking a lot about energy and mindset. I guess that's the theme. Um, I And I, I tell my friends this too, and some people are into it, some people aren't, but when you're having when you're in a stressful situation or you're having a hard time or it's a it's a low point and it goes on for a while or whatever or even maybe in a high point i do think a gratitude journal is very helpful so that you when you wake up in the morning and if you make the effort to not jump right into email or something but give yourself just 3 minutes to write down one to three things you're grateful for there's actually been research to show that that helps your your mindset and even your 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 hormones yeah. <laughs> um it's just, it's really helpful. What are you grateful for? I am grateful for my family. I am grateful for my health. And I'm very grateful for, I've just had so many incredible experiences in my yeah. life. Experiences I never thought I'd even have. So those are the things I'm grateful for. And sometimes that. I get even more specific. You know, it's like some, my husband did XYZ yesterday or um, my son James clapped his hands yesterday. Yeah. You know, the more specific, the better. The little but, things. Yeah, I'm grateful. For Does your husband days. write a gratitude journal now too? You know, plug to him. He was the one that told me about wow. the gratitude journal. And then I read some research on it, like I do. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're right. I'm sensing okay. a theme here with you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, he, he does it too. We don't do it every day. I mean, it's I'd be, you know, faking it if I said, oh, yeah, I do it every day, but periodically. What does winning mean to you? Being better every day. Being better every day. And how about my last question for you? What does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Because you are definitely yes. the definition of an entrepreneurista. Oh, thank you. Um, to me, it means to me it means doing something of purpose and value, mm-hmm. and to helping other women do something that's of purpose and value to them, and helping men do something that's of purpose and value to them because are, you know, biologically, we're two genders, right? Societally, we're two genders. Our economy and our families, everything should be both genders because mm-hmm. we need both. Absolutely. Um, and so I love helping both men and women work together. I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey. And I've learned so much from you. So where can everyone find you, follow you, and of course, buy your products? Yes. So you can buy Sweetie Feet on Amazon or on our website, and you can follow me at Ariane Perry on Instagram, um, Twitter, or Facebook. Well, this was so much fun. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Until next time, I'm Stephanie, and this was the best business meeting I've ever had. Thanks for listening. 